again to the Perimeter Church podcast. To propel something means to drive it forward, to move it in a certain direction. In order to be moved, we know from physics that something has to be pushing or pulling on the item being propelled, or inertia will keep it where it is. Our spiritual lives also need a propeller to move us forward. Lead teacher Randy Pope starts the new series, Propelled the Servant Mindset, with this message entitled Designed for Serving, which covers Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Thank you for joining us today. This week we begin a new series. A series will go, I don't know, six, seven weeks. Uh, it's, it's already exact, but I can't remember what it is. But it, it's going to be, you know, in that time frame, six or seven weeks. And before I... Before I pray, I'd like to introduce the series, and then I'll get into today's message. The series is on the subject matter of serving. I'll tell you, it is a subject matter that is badly needed by most all of us. I didn't say you. It's needed by all of us, badly needed. For many, many reasons, we need to dig deeply into this subject matter of serving. Least of which, but interestingly enough, I'll put on the screen a quote by Albert Schweitzer, Nobel Peace Prize winner, a half a century a missionary in Africa. And this is what he says about serving. Those among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. There are a lot of us here that are missing out on a whole lot in life just because we don't serve. And I can say that in a natural way, not just the spiritual truth. And that's why I said this is the least of them. Because, yeah, we would be a happier people if we were serving. But let me tell you, there is a whole lot more than that. And that's where we're going today. We're going to be talking about the importance of serving, but we're going to do it in a way that's not going to say, okay, everybody should serve, everybody go out and find something to do, and we need to be giving ourselves to go away, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to approach it that way. This is going to be an equipping, an equipping session week in and week out. It is my job to be able to teach you from the Word of God things that not just tell you, okay, here's what you need to do and go do it. But to give you a framework, an understanding, and a capability to be able to do the very things that hopefully our hearts will long to do. Imagine that we were to grade ourselves. I'd love for you to do that. Nothing public, no raise of hand at a particular number. But just think of one the lowest, ten the highest, and say, where would you grade yourself? Do it right now in your own mind. Are you a, a, a one server, an eight server, or a four server, a ten? Where are you? I can tell you, I did that myself. Before I'm going to ask you to do it, I've done it for myself. I would say I am probably at the least of the, the number three, maybe up to a four. Somewhere three or four was where I would find myself. Folks, that is woefully low. I can't help but believe that some of you are there with me. Therefore, we need this series. I'm thankful that I get to prepare all week long and think about the truths that you'll hear for 35 minutes. But let me tell you, I'm already finding this is so beneficial 
for me. And I want it to be for you as well. As we walk through this, we're going to be entitling the series Propelled. The title has really been prompted by Jeff's series the last few weeks. The last week particularly where he talked about propelling, propelling, and he linked it to serving. And listening to that, we thought, you know what, that'd be a great title for this series, Propelled. And if you look at the rest of the title, it says, The Serving Mindset. Now, I will assure you, the subtitle there is not sufficient, but it's, it can't be too long. But I want you forever, as you see the serving mindset, I would like for you to think a little broader than that and think about the serving mindset, the serving tool set, and the serving workshop. Now, that's familiar to you that have been through Express Your Faith because it's the same way in equipping people how to share their faith. I always teach people, I say, you want to share your faith, don't you? As a Christian, don't you feel that you've got the greatest news that mankind has ever, ever, ever received? Absolutely. Does it bother you? Doesn't it bother you as a Christian that people are perishing forever because they don't have the good news? They don't understand the good news? They don't embrace the good news? Yeah, I really believe that's important. Well, let me ask you, are you sharing the faith with people beyond you? Over the last year, have you found anybody in your own personality, in your own style, the way you would go about just best loving on people that are lost, helping them find the kingdom? Have you found any fruitfulness over the past year? And Christian after Christian says no. In fact, for me, it's pastor after pastor I can talk to who says no. I say, I wonder why that is. You want to, don't you? Yeah, I want to. It's just like serving. How many of us would say, as Christians, would say, you know what, one thing I don't really want to do, and I don't don't really think it's that important, is really serve other people. No, we all know it's important. Why don't we do it? I'll tell you why. It's because, one, either we don't have the mindset where we're really thinking it's importance and I truly want to do it. But for most of us, it goes a little deeper and it's the tools we don't have. We say, I don't really feel too equipped and prepared and capable of doing a very good job. Or we just don't have a place in sight where we say, that's where I need to serve. That's what would use the gifts and tools that I have. You put those three together, amazing what happens. It is amazing. It's the same way in the realm of serving. We've got to be propelled to serve. How's that going to happen? When we get a serving mindset, tool set, and then we identify a workshop. So this week, we're going to be starting with the mindset. And we're going to talk about what is the mindset of serving. The what and why, not just the how. And then next week... But we're having the men's retreat next week, and and I'm looking forward. I'll be there for the early part of it. I have to come back, obviously, to be here for for the weekend services. But but I know a lot of you guys are going to be gone. You're going to be gone this next week, and great. Glad you're going to be at a wonderful retreat. I can't wait. But I hope you'll go to the podcast. Anybody who misses through the whole series, keep up and consider yourself in an equipping session for multiple weeks And the outcome would be, we pray, God, make me a servant. Make me a servant. 
Now, there's a problem. Why would we not be more engaged in serving? Why is it, if, if we believe the importance of it, why wouldn't we do it? We know the disciples came along, and Jesus picked 12, and you know he made good choices. And he pulls these guys around him, and he begins to teach them. And as he begins to teach them, he starts telling the importance of serving. He, he teaches it. He models it. He's not very far into his teaching ministry, and he sees his disciples having this conversation. He knows what they're saying. And in essence, he says, what you talking about, guys? The answer is this, which one among us is the greatest of all? And he hammers them with teaching, saying, no, it's not who is the greatest. Who is the least? Who is the servant? Who is the one that gives? Who is that? That's the greatest of all. You go to the very end of his three-year ministry. He overhears the guys talking again. What are you guys chatting about? He knows. And the answer is, well, we're discussing who's the greatest among us. Now, you know that he is a sovereign God. He knows everything. I mean, it's not like he's surprised. But wouldn't you think, humanly speaking, somebody in his position would be pulling out his hair, saying, you gotta be, you got to be kidding me. I've taught you. I've told you. You've watched me. I've How is it you won't get this? And they're still talking about who's the greatest. He gets to the last, the last few days of his earthly ministry. It's called the Last Supper. And the understanding is they're the lowest person who would be considered in the realm of societal, you know, lift and so forth. Who's the lowest of all? They should be the ones to wash the feet of the others. Well, there's no slave or servant there as such, but it's the custom to do so. It's appropriate to have it done. You think those guys ever came in thinking about, oh, let me be, the, no, let me do it. No, let, no, they're sitting there ready to go. Jesus goes, come on, guys, let me wash your feet. Oh, we can't let you do that. Jesus, come on, you're God. You know, we can't do that. He said, no, no, I'm going to do this because I want to show you. I want to impress upon you for the rest of your lives, that it's not about how lifted up can we get. It's how deeply can we serve. And he's doing that not because he's saying, because I got a pattern and I want you in the pattern. He's saying, I love you and I want you to have the best. And the best comes by being and living out the least. That's how you get to the top. The last shall be first. Do you realize that nothing changed for three years of teaching and teaching and teaching and admonishing? Nothing changed. What happened? Because they started serving. They served their God to their death. And I'll only tell you, they served. They gave themselves, they'd walk in and be beaten for the sake of their service for the Lord. To help other people, to proclaim the gospel. No, no, they were willing now. What happened? It's called Pentecost. Pentecost. The Holy Spirit grabbed their hearts and transformed them. Very important. 
that we understand it is not about what we've learned, what we understand, what we know, period. Important as that may be, it's about what God has done to and for us. That's why in this ministry, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep at it over and over as long as I'm here. I'm going to tell you about what God has done, not just what you need to do, but what's God done for us that enables us to be who we need to be. I think of no better text to teach that than Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, electronic or not, doesn't matter, open them up and let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Now that's kind of the intro to the series. Now the message begins and it's a shorter message so I can do that but I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God that he powerfully meet us over these next weeks of this series and that God transforms us to be the servants we long to be. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we sit in different venues hearing the same teaching from your word. And we're going to ask for every one of us in every location where we are right now that, God, you're going to, in amazing ways, take our lives and shape us to become the servant of all. God, we want to trust you. We believe you. And then we wonder why we go where we go. But God, grant us that we might be able now to receive your word and to be transformed by it. We pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, to understand this transformation that we need to undergo, we need to realize that, that there's a problem that we have. And, and this problem is what I call the me-first mindset. We all have a me-first mindset. Isn't it true? I mean, what does a baby do? A baby comes up and you can tell just by actions, give it to me, give it to me. But when they can talk, now they put expression to it and their first two favorite words are me, mine. Me, mine. I, I, I'm not really sure the number exactly now, but we have something like 87 grandchildren or something. I don't know how many there are. <laughs> Uh, it looks like that because they can't count them like ants. You can't count a bed of ants, you know. And they're running around, these little guys, you know. And, and I would assume that everybody's name is either me or mine, you know. It's me, me, mine, mine, give me mine, give me me. Sure, that's the way we all are, right? It's me, mine. We grow up and we get more sophisticated, but it's still, how do I look? Hey, how do you like my car? How do you like my, how do you like my position? How do you like my accomplishment? How does this make me feel? What are you doing for me right now, honey? I mean, it's all about us, is it not? There is a reason why we are like that. And so what we're going to see is a transformation from the disciples for their part is the same way it's going to happen to you and me, from a me-first mindset to a serving mindset. Now, I think we need to answer four questions that I think are addressed very well in this text. Now, I have taught this text for an entire series in years past. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read the text. I'll make just a quick comment. I'm hoping you'll go back after you see the little nuggets that I'll give you, and you go back and read the text in full and let it kind of flesh out. But I want you to get the bigger, bigger, bigger picture right now. And so there are four questions you see in your insert of the outline. Four questions, 
And then in each of those questions, I'm going to give you one word that's going to be a kind of a memory tool to kind of get the bigger picture. Now, here are the four words that are going to represent the answers to these four questions. The one is designed, designed. The second word that will come up here is broken. The third word is recreated. Now, those three are going to deal with you and me. Designed, we'll talk about how we were designed, then how we're broken, and then how we're recreated. All right? Then we're going to look at something about God, number four, and it's vindication. It'll describe something about God. And let me tell you, the first three points I'm going through, you're going, yeah, 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 okay, that's good, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's the fourth point. That's the aha, where we'll figure out this thing about the mindset. So let's jump into it. Question number one. Question number one reads like this. What was God's intention in putting mankind on earth? We got to know the answer to that one. Now, the word we said was the word designed. Now, if I were to ask you as a Christian community in this church, most of you know this answer. And the question is, you know, why did God place us on this earth? Or put it another way, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to what? Glorify God. Everybody says, okay, glorify God. Which, by the way, if you're new to the teaching that God does all things for his glory, parent, please, if you teach your children one thing only, one thing only as a little child, you teach them this, why did God create you? For his own glory. Kids, whenever you hear, why does God, you know this, there may be a more specific detailed answer you can give that would be accurate, but the overall answer is this, he did it for his own glory. Well, I don't understand why God did this. I don't either, but it's for his own glory. That I do know. And let me tell you, a kid gets that, get a grip on that and say, you know, it's for God's glory, just like you and me as adults. When we begin to understand that, whoa, now we get it. Well, let me tell you, it's the 10th verse that we really understand the answer to that question. So I'm going to go all the way through now. I'm not going to read the first verses for time's sake, but look at verse 10 with me just real quickly. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So simply put, we're his workmanship. Now verses 1 through 7 are going to tell us the description of his workmanship. What's happened to us? We've got to understand that. There's a little parenthetical couple of verses uh, in, a, in this uh, chapter. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. And that will come in there. And then he gives us the summary, verse 10. So the answer to the first question is very important. we got to say, well, why did he design us? Why these nine verses? Because he's saying, look, folks, you have been created in Christ, meaning you're a Christian now. Why? For good works. That's what glorifies God. It's good works. So we got to start there. If we don't get our design, we don't get anything. We We don't understand life. We're designed for good works. We're his workmanship. All right? Now let's go to the second question. Why does every person, and I mean every person in the world, begin life with what we call a me first mindset? 
The answer is, we're broken. And we all know we're broken. There's not one of us that says, I got it together, I'm perfect, I do everything good, I'm, I'm whole. No. I met with a man yesterday. He came to Express. Never met him before. We ended up having lunch together. And I said, how you doing? I didn't know a thing about him. Hey, how you doing? He said, I'm broken. I'm broken. What do you mean? Wife just left me. Kids hate me. One of them suicidal, 18-year-old. We fear he'll take his life. I've lost everything. I'm just broken. We had lunch and I listened to him share a brokenness at a level you can't imagine. And I look at him and I go, you know what? Your brokenness is like all the rest of us. You have different applications to your brokenness. But aren't we all broken? Sure we are. We don't understand how broken. He has a leg up in one respect. Many others he doesn't. But in one respect, man, he has a leg up on the rest of us because he knows how broken he really is. And look what the text says, verses 1 through 3. Here's how he says it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, again, I'm not going to, I could break that down. We could spend weeks on those verses right there. But here's what I want you to understand. The description, dead, begins by saying you're dead in your sins and because of your sins, you're dead. And, oh, by the way, you are disobedient, which what brought about the death. You're disobedient. And, oh, let me use this word, you're depraved. You literally are depraved. And therefore, you are doomed. Those are the four descriptions that that broader text gives us. I mean, how messed up can we be? What he's saying is, I want you to see how broken you are. I'm going to describe the pit in which you have come from so you might understand the platform to which you have been raised. You remember when Jesus talked to the prostitute? And he's finished the prost- talking to the prostitute. Now he's talking to the disciples about her. And this is what he says in Luke 7, 47. He says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And isn't it true? You know, those of us that were really messed up and we knew it. I mean really messed up. And now we've been lifted up out of that pit and we find ourselves forgiven, redeemed, and so forth like this prostitute. Those are the ones among us here that are saying, yay, God, go, Jesus, thank you so much. I can't tell you. Where the rest of us are saying, you know, I really appreciate it. This is really good. I know you. I I, kind of understand where I was. And No, no, no. We don't quite get it. That's why we taught the series in Romans 6 and 7 that we just finished. 
in that series using the old Jekyll and Hyde thing. I kept underscoring over and over. Let me tell you, we have a hide hidden in every one of us. And it is so vulgar. It is so bad. It is so wicked. If you and I could see the sin nature and that is the issue of our brokenness. We now have a sin nature. Now, as Christians, the nature, as we learned in the past series, has been separated from us still within us. But it's still there. Those of us that are not Christians, man, we are united with our nature, and it is a wicked, vile thing. It'd be like one of the aliens that you see in one of those movies dressed up in a beautiful figure of humanity, kind, sweet, gracious, giving, loving, whatever, but inside it's, it is the worst thing imaginable. And were we to see it, as I said earlier, we would say, kill it, God, kill it, kill it, kill it. And we need to see that that's what's within us. And thankful to God that we're separated from it. But still it dwells within us. Seeing other people without redemption saying, oh my gosh, the the alien has them. we got to help them get freed from the alien within. we got to figure out how to do that. And so we have to understand this broken condition. Christian, do you you really understand, do you kind of get the previous condition that we were in before salvation and seeker do you understand your moral condition I don't care how moralistic and religious let me tell you every one of us here we got this in common we got a bunch of junk inside us it's bad 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 stuff so okay designed his workmanship for good works to glorify God problem Broken, really badly broken. But now we look to number three question. Number three question reads this way. What does God do to enable us to have a serving mindset? And the key word there is recreated. Look at verses four through six. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, look what it says, we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and though we were bound he raised us up with him wow and not only did he raise us up with him but look what it says and he seated not seat he's going to seat he will do it no he has seated us already with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus man oh man I mean, theologically speaking, he's saying, okay, here's where you were, and by grace, just because he wanted to do it, you didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it, he said, here's what, here's what I chose to do. I gave you, theologically speaking, transformation to begin with. I transformed you. But then I did something even more than that. I gave you a triumph. I mean, you are triumphantly raised up, and you are enthroned with God. That goes back to our old series I just did about the importance of identification. When we can start understanding we're identified with him. Remember how I used the the story of our identification with a, a university or a football team and they win, we're excited, they lose, we're defeated, we feel bad, sad, depressed, whatever. That's because we have this identification going on. And he's saying, all right, let's get identified with Christ here. You have been raised up. I mean, you have triumphantly been raised and 
and enthroned with him. I mean, you are there seated with him in the heavenly places. He says, that's what I've done for you. Why? Why did he do that? We're his workmanship created for good works. That's why he did that. I mean, that was as costly as it gets to get us to be his workmanship created for good works. Two implications, and we move to the last question. Implication number one, who we are in Christ must precede what we do for Christ. Forget the sermons that keep telling us what you do, what you do, what you need to do, what you do, what you need to do. Oh, there's some of that. But it better be preceded by what Christ has done for us. Number two, what Christ has done for us must be the cause for what we do for him and others. See, some of us seekers here, we're some of the most benevolent, giving, generous, kind, serving people. But here's a problem. Unless we're doing it because of what he's done for us and it's motivated with the right motivation, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, it can make us delight and find happiness. I understand that. But it doesn't glorify God. We missed our point. So you got to put the two together. Now we come to the fourth and final. Here's the big aha. Why does God enable us to have a serving mindset? And the answer is found in verse 7. And the key word there is vindication, which I'll explain. But let's read verse 7 first. In order, here is because, the in order that in the ages to come, that means after this earth has been renewed and we are with him, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, wait, wait, okay, so you're telling me, what he's saying is that all this rework he's done of us that took his son dying, to make us his workmanship, he did because of his kindness. He didn't have to do it right. And he did it for his kindness so that in the ages to come, he might do something. He might show. What are you talking about? Well, I don't think we really get the answer to that unless you get to chapter 3. And when you get to chapter 3, in verse 10, look what it says. Here's the same in order that. He's answering the same question. In order... That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to who? The rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Hmm. What is he saying there? He's saying, well, basically, the motive behind the motive. Oh, I did it to show my kindness toward you. Yes. But the motive behind that motive, the super motive is for the vindication of my name. So what's the word vindicate mean? Some of our young people, some of our adults may not really grasp the word vindication. Sometimes, just rather than go to a dictionary, which I can just as easily do, I'll just hit Google Voice while I'm sitting there studying. And so I punched Google Voice and I said, vindication. I want to see, what does it say about vindication? Here's what came up. I thought this was pretty interesting. Vindication is a sweet thing. When you get vindication, you've been proven right or justified in doing something. Everyone wrongly accused of a crime craves vindication. Vindication is good, but it can only come after something bad, like being accused of something you didn't do. 
Folks, do you understand what's being said here? God is saying, you want to know workmanship? You want to know why I've done for you what I've done in my kindness toward you? It's because I love you and I want to show kindness to you. Yes, 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 but let me tell you, there's something else, and it is my vindication because from the very time that Satan left as one of my angels and was cast to this earth, from that moment on, I've been accused by him. He has accused me that I would never be the great redeemer. He has accused me that I will never never rule this universe. He's accused me that I am bad for you people that are Christians. He has told it over and over to you over and over in such a way that now even you who are of this earth, the planet, my creation, you people all over this world as pagans have ridiculed my name and said, God who? There is no God. He's not worth anything. If there is a God, I wouldn't want to know him because. And it so impacted the Christian community that Christians today are saying, you know what? God's just not fair and God's not good and God's not giving me what I wanted and I didn't get this. And God could stop that and he didn't stop it. And God is just not fair. He's not right. He's not good. And it's gone on and on for an entire creation. And he says, and there is going to be that day in the ages to come and I'm going to take my church as if on an easel incredible portrait and I'm going to pull back the canvas for this over and you're going to see and the whole of my authority is going to be applauded people in every realm the evil one and every person everybody every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess and go wow he did everything he said he would do And every single thing we accused him of, no, he proved to be right. And he says, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Wow. Let me tell you, let me tell you, the truth is simply this. Guys, we've got to understand, until we get this, it's not about us. It's about him. And we're going to have a me-first mindset forever and ever and ever as long as we say, this is about me. This is what God can do for me. This is how I can, oh, why didn't you? No, no, God, this is about you. And we got this little tiny little blip on the screen to be a workmanship for you. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to learn the tools. I'm going to find my spiritual gifts. I'm going to figure them out. I'm going to find a workshop. I'm going to give myself to it. And God, till the day I die, I want to be your workmanship, created for good works, and I want to live it out. Folks, let's get off this kick of me first. Can you imagine what would happen if every single person in this church, and I mean every single person, I know it won't happen, but what if every single person embraced a serving mindset And started serving at full speed levels. We would change. We'd see our lives change. Man, we would see this church change. We would see the community change. But let me tell you, you got to go back and you got to have the right mindset. Me first, always there. Until we figure, oh, this is about you, God. This is about your vindication. Ooh. So... What are we going to do? Three things. One, we repent. We repent of our me first mindset and say, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, it's been so me first. I'm wrong. Sorry. Please forgive me. Number two, appropriate the power of God. The last series, Romans 6. No, consider present. If you remember the series, 
Say, oh God, I can't. You can. I give you everything. You, you now. You rule through me and in me and through me. It's about you. And then number three, we count to three and we jump. There is a point where we say, okay, I know my gifts. Okay, now I've learned those. Okay, I know that's what I want to do. And oh, but I'm scared and it's going to be costly. It's going to take my time. It's going to maybe hurt my reputation. People are going to see me lower than higher. And I don't know if I start serving people and become less than other people. I know, but okay, one, two, three, jump. And then what happens? We find God catching us in the air and giving us a ride of our life. That's what we pray happens as we walk through this series together. Me first, gone. Serving mindset. Next week, let's talk about tools. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray you would grab our hearts in such a way that we might be a part of a a grand chorus of your saints that one day will be up on that easel, made perfect, that all of creation, all authorities, all the evil, the evil one himself will have to look on and say, you, God, are who you claim to be. May we find that our greatest delight to look forward to the day that your character is vindicated rather than our life is blessed. Make that our highest hope. Work in our hearts as only you can do. And we want to say now we're sorry. Sorry for the me first. Lord, now empower us. And Lord, we just say we're going to jump. By the end of the series, if not before, we're going to count to three. We're going to jump. And we pray you would make it the greatest ride of our life. We pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.